Because Love. That is the series we have been rallying around over the last several weeks as we've been extracting that theme out of the books of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John in the Bible. Uh, So if you're newer with us, that's all right. We'll get you caught up as we uh, talk about what we're going to look at of what because love looks like in our lives, particularly when it comes to this idea of loving others. And so when it comes to where to turn to in the scriptures, uh, we're going to be kind of all over the place. We'll be throughout 1 John a little bit, but also throughout the rest of the Bible. Uh, And it's going to be, you could say, a lot of scripture, but I've decided if there's anything I'm going to be accused of in preaching, uh, there's a lot of things probably worse than use a lot of scripture in that sermon. So I think we're going to be okay with that. So if you're new with us, my name is Brian. Look forward to looking at God's word here for those of us in the West Auditorium. Hello to those in the East Auditorium and of course worshiping online as we look at God's word. And so when it comes to this idea of how do we love others, there's a quote that I came across very early actually on in my Christian journey that um, is one of my favorite when it comes to this idea of how do we love others. It's from St. Francis of the 13th century. He says it this way. He says, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. Preach the gospel at all times. And if necessary, use words. It's this thought that everything we do, that everything that our life is, that we want to demonstrate not in words, but in actions, in the way that we live. We want to demonstrate that our lives would be an example of what the gospel is, of what the good news of Jesus. And, and, and I love that idea. Um, and, and it reflects scripture as well. And so it says it this way when it comes to uh, those who don't, you could say, know God or know the love of God or maybe not heard the gospel. In the first John 3.1 as our first verse in a lot of verses that we're going to look at. But it says it this way, kind of set us up for today. It says, the reason that the world does not know us is that it did not know him. It says, the world does not know him. And so how do we, those who, um, I would say, probably by and large in this space, know him, how do we, for those of us who know God, how do we help others know God? So what's that look like? Well, there was a time not really all that long ago, uh, maybe this is a, a, a way in which you did this, or maybe you were part of something like this, where we would, uh, you could say, confront somebody with the gospel, with the good news. You'd confront them with, you know, sound bites of truth from the good news. Uh, maybe you'd, you'd hit up a complete stranger with a question like, hey, if you died tonight, do you know where you'd spend eternity? It's like, okay. And so maybe that was something you're a part of. Maybe, you know, going door to door or you did maybe something on the streets or maybe in malls. Uh, but the idea, they called it confrontational evangelism, that you would just confront someone with this truth or this question that raises an important um, understanding in their lives. And uh, there was a generation, uh, a season, you could say, where, uh, to use the words of Jesus, I think there were ears to hear, uh, that people had ears to hear and to respond to that in uh, what you might call a modern era where truth was absolute. And it's like if truth was presented, it was kind of facts and, and you kind of decided you know, whether you were in or out. But now we have moved into, uh, sociologists say, called a time of, uh, of post-modernity, the post-modern age where truth is not absolute, but it's relative. Uh, sayings like your truth or my truth, which 
Ironically, as soon as you put the pronoun your in front of it, it kind of robs the meaning of what truth actually is. But that's the world we live in. And because that's the world we live in, there's a sense of like, when it comes to this idea of just, you know, hitting up a complete stranger and confronting them with truth in that way, there's something about saying, you know, hey, here's the good news that doesn't just feel that good. Um, in some ways, it, it, that confrontational idea doesn't feel that loving. It, there's a side of us that's like, I don't know if that really feels like we're doing this because love. And so we feel that. We, could art- you know, we, we sense it. And it's probably why you all won't spend the day at the mall talking to people confrontationally about the good news. So we, you could say the pendulum has swung. That, that was maybe one way of how we would communicate the good news. But now you might say that the pendulum has swung away from that because there's something that doesn't feel right in our current setting about that. And so we say, you know what? What if we just make sure that we love everyone? Let's love people, which you know, might translate, hey, Jesus was nice. I'll just be nice to people like Jesus, and we'll call it a day. Uh, it's almost rings of the St. Francis quote, this idea like, I can preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. And uh, again, I, I like that because it does reflect what the scriptures say. 1 John 3.18, uh, a little bit after that 1 John 3.1, hey, if we don't know God, what do we want them to know? 1 John 3.18 says, dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Let us love with actions and in truth. Uh, Let us preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. And so I like that. I like it because it reflects what the scripture says. But if I'm really honest, the reason I like that St. Francis quote is because it tells me that I can preach the gospel at all times and thank you, St. Francis, I don't have to use words. I don't actually have to talk to someone about Jesus or church or God or the Bible or anything like that. And so this idea that we don't have to use words, we don't have to talk to someone about Jesus. Do you think that's what St. Francis meant? Do you think that's what John means in his letters, that the pendulum was to swing away from not using words? Uh, You know, like, hey, if you died tonight, would you know you're going to heaven? And kind of settle into this idea that we can preach the gospel at all words, without words, which is certainly good, but are words ever necessary? Well, 1 John 3, it says that we are to, yes, love with actions and in truth. Actions and truth, because we do have good news. And news is something to report, news is something to say, news is something to share. And so how do we reconcile these two extremes? This confrontational idea that, you know, we come at people with words, but then on the other extreme, this idea that uh, maybe I'm ashamed to use the words. How is it that we bring it to center and love with both actions and in truth? And so the first step we might say relative to our series that we've been looking at is that we would start with embracing as our foundational understanding, we'd say God's, what we've labeled in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, the because love cycle. That it's all because of love. It's not because of our love, but it all starts with God's love. 1st John 4.10, this is love, it says. Not that we loved God, 
but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And so it's because as we've been looking at this cycle throughout the uh, last several weeks, Wayne made fun of me last week because I was out of town doing a wedding, calling me uh, the next weatherman, whatever, fine, he can make fun of me, but uh, it works, I like it. And so yeah, this starts with this idea that God loves us, not that we're doing anything, it all starts with God. And then that first arrow says, okay, we embrace the love of God, that we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Lord. We said a few weeks ago, it's a decision that takes place in a moment, but it's a direction that lasts a lifetime. A long obedience in the same direction is what it means to love God. And we do that by obeying him in his ways. And then a big part of obeying him in his ways all throughout 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John is loving one another. Pastor Wayne talked about that last week. And then today we kind of come around the turn here, third base, that we love others. That's what we're going to look at today so that they might know God. They might know the love of God. And so we have to start by embracing that reality. But going back to last week, the way that starts, the way we love others is actually first by the way we love one another in the church. It says it this way in John 13, uh, 34 through 35. It says, a new command I give you. These are the words of Jesus being quoted. It says, love one another as I have loved you so you must love one another. And then Jesus says, by this, by your love for one another, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so first and foremost, the way we show love to God, to those who don't know God, is by the love that we show one to another to those who don't yet know God. And so how we treat one another for better or for worse. How we love one another or don't love one another for better or for worse. That is our first witness. That is our example. Because if we don't have something worth sharing in the lives that we live together, then why would we expect anyone else to be interested or be a part of that? So it starts with us here. And then out of the overflow of that, then we would say, okay, then we step into intentionally loving others, okay? Embrace our because love cycle, we love one another, and then we love others, we could say, with our actions. We've talked about this. We want to preach the gospel with our actions uh, at all times. And when it comes to this idea of preaching with our actions, uh, there's a setting in the, the gospels where there's an expert in the law, a Jewish religious leader, and he comes to Jesus and they're having a discussion about how does one inherit eternal life. And so they agree that, number one, we've got to love God. And then out of the overflow of that, we need to love one another. And then they start to have this discussion about what does that mean? Uh, Jesus actually said to love your neighbor as yourself. And so the religious expert says, uh, to justify himself, it says, uh, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Uh, Because he assumed that his neighbor was the person who most looked like him, acted like him, believed like him, same religion, same culture, same ethnicity. Uh, But that's when Jesus flips the script as to who a neighbor is. Uh, He he talks about this story, very well known, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And so the nuance in that is that 
the man who is beaten and left for dead, he's, he's, he's uh, hit up by robbers, and uh, it's a Jewish man, and Jesus tells a story about three guys who walk by this left for dead man. It sounds like a bad joke, three guys walk into a bar, but it's not, it's actually three guys walk on by, and the first two are the kind of neighbors this Jewish religious leader would have expected maybe to help him out. It's a, uh, a Jewish priest, and then a Jewish Levite, looks like him, believes like him, but then the third person that walks by is a Samaritan, a Samaritan. And Samaritans and Jews, they, they did not associate with one another. In fact, in another setting, in John chapter 4, it says point blank, Jesus is associating with a Samaritan woman and says, for Jews, do not associate with Samaritans. Other translations say, we'll have no dealings with. And so this third person that walks by, the man that's beaten, is not just an outsider, He's a despised outsider. He is the last person that we would expect to see have a role in this story. And so here's how Jesus paints it. Jesus goes on to say, this is what happens with the Samaritan and the man who was on the side of the road, left for dead. It says that the Samaritan, he went and he bandaged his wounds. He put the man on his own donkey. He brought him to an inn to take care of him. And then the next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper. He said, look after him and said, when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. To which after the story, Jesus asks the religious expert, who then in this story was this man's neighbor? Uh, which of these do you three do you feel uh, was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And so Jesus says, now go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Love your neighbor as yourself. Your neighbor might not be who you think it is. Preach the gospel at all times. First John 3, 18, dear children, let us not love with mere words or speech, but with actions. May we love others first with actions. But from there, yet, the verse concludes, and in truth. And so we love with actions, but we also love in truth. St. Francis, again, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use, use words. And so we asked the question earlier. We never really resolved it. Does that mean that words are not necessary? I appreciate the way that one commentator explains St. Francis' quote. He says it this way. He says, the quotation is not giving us an ultimatum of either or, but of both and. It says we must preach always, sometimes by action, other times by word, and other times by both. But in no moment are we not to preach. And so perhaps a more holistic way to understand this, this saying is, yes, preach the gospel at all times, but when appropriate, use words because words are necessary. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says that faith, it comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word about Christ. And so yes, words are necessary. But getting honest with ourselves, why is it that we don't like to use words? Does it feel like it's too confrontational, you know, do we feel like we, you know, what is it that we 
don't like, we like to use the St. Francis quote as it was. Preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, use words. Why is it that we don't like having to say anything about God and Jesus and the church and, and stuff like that? Well, if I could answer for us all in a word, that reason is fear. It's fear. It's fear of all kinds of possible things, but it is fear. We are afraid to talk to others outside of the faith about the idea of faith, God, church, and the Bible. And so let's call it what it is and say that you could say the next step in all this is we have to acknowledge our fears. I have them. You have them. Um, in fact, just to kind of bring, we're going to shift it up a little bit. Normally, this is a one-sided conversation. But if I were to ask you, which I'm about to, uh, what are some of the fears that you have when it comes to talking to someone about faith or God or the Bible? And so I'm going to invite you right here to, like, you know, say it out loud back to me, which you're thinking, this is one of the fears that you would call on me in church. Uh, and so online, if you want to message something there, I've got uh, ready to go here. Any answers that you might have when it comes to that? Um, and so what is it, when we talk to other people about this stuff, what is it that we're actually afraid of? Yes. Boom. Wow. That was, that was like, and it was like jinx. Yeah. All right. Rejection is what they said. Yeah, we fear being rejected in any setting, this or any other, you know? I mean, I grew up in high school with a lot of acne. I know all about rejection from the opposite sex. It's part of life. It stinks. <laughs> Fine. I don't know. That was not in my notes. It just comes out. Okay. <laughs> yes, we don't like rejection of any kind. What else? Reputation. Confrontation. We don't want to be confrontation. We don't want to be judged. Yes. Anything else? Failure. My own failure, yeah, we don't feel adequate. Like, who am I to tell you? Because I, I'm, I don't want to be, a, I'm, I know I don't have my stuff all together, so who am I to talk about what it looks like to have it all together, even though we're talking about Jesus? Um, here's some other ones that are coming through on Church Online. Uh, another one, I fear rejection. Um, it's uncomfortable. I don't like being uncomfortable. I like things that are comfortable. Uh, people are saying, don't preach to me. Um, oh, this is a good one. People are afraid that if they have, there's a question they won't have the right answer. And so, yeah, we have these fears that, uh, and I do as well. You know, I don't always get to talk to somebody with an iPad in my hands and all the notes ready for me. I mean, I fear, like, what am I going to say? How is it going to go? What am I supposed to do? And so what do we do with those? What do we do with these acknowledged fears that we all have? Well, from there, we, I'm going to say it one way and explain what I mean. Ask the Lord of the others. We take our fears and then we ask the Lord of the others. This is what I mean. It's scripture painted a different way. Matthew 9, 35 through 38 says that Jesus, he did it this way, that he went through all the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. So he's using words, right? And he's also, it says, healing every disease and sickness. And so we see him preaching in actions and caring for people and love, but he's also preaching truth and gospel and word. So it's word and truth, as we saw in 1 John 3.18. And it says that when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. So he loved them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so we can overcome our fears when we recognize it's not about us, but about our love for the other. 
And then Jesus says this. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So what do we do? Verse 38, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send workers into his harvest field. Ask the Lord of the harvest, or we could say, ask the Lord of the others to send workers into the harvest field. So we ask the Lord. Uh, I could have just labeled this pray. But anytime you hear pray when someone's preaching, it's like, it's like preaching white noise. It's like, it's like of course, you know, a pray. It feels like a throwaway point, but it's not. It is the point that unlocks all the rest, all the ones we've looked at and all the ones we're gonna keep looking at. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. What do we do? We ask the Lord of the harvest. We ask the Lord of the harvest to, you could say, send workers into the harvest field. They're few, probably because our fears are many, but we ask him to send not just other workers, but to send us as well, to send, to send me. That Isaiah chapter six uh, response where Isaiah says, here I am, Lord, send me. We wanna have the confidence, not in ourselves, we're, we're afraid, but all throughout the Bible, do not fear because it's God that is gonna work in you and through you. And so pray, absolutely, that is the first thing, even though it's in the middle of all these points, we pray to the Lord of the harvest to help us overcome our fears so that we, maybe the workers sent into his harvest field. And when we pray that way, I can tell you one of the answers to those prayers already because it's in God's word. Make the most of every one of those opportunities. Make the most of every opportunity. Colossians 4, 2 through 6 says, devote yourselves to prayer being watchful and thankful and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message. And so we're asking God, we're praying, we're asking the Lord of the harvest, asking the Lord of the others to open a door for the message as he unlocks the door, you could say, on our fears. Um, and so the Apostle Paul, he's writing this, he says, uh, pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim, may share the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. And so Paul, talk about fear, he's in prison and he's asking God to make the most of his opportunity while in chains, while in prison. Uh, he says, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Okay, God, help me overcome my fears, what to say, when to say it. Then verse five, I love this. Be wise. Be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. And here's the point, make the most of every opportunity. Be wise. Be wise. In other words, when we're choosing wisdom, it means we don't have to have a pre-decided set of, you could say, uh, an either or. Is it, am I going to confront somebody? Or am I just going to love with no words? You don't have to decide which camp you're going to be on. In the it's, We're not trapped by binary thinking of an either or, but a wisdom, a discernment that we get to be wise in each and every opportunity in the way that we are going to act towards someone who's, you could say, outside of the faith. And then it goes on to say in verse six, do it this way, by letting your conversations be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Make the most of every opportunity 
by the way your conversation is full of grace. Seasoned with salt, it means it's like it, it tastes good to talk to you. It's a good experience. And to trust God in those opportunities to make the most of how to respond to everyone. I once heard it said this way, um, when it comes to this idea of, you know, telling someone about faith in Jesus, that on that journey that the other person is on, that when it comes to this idea that I've got to, you know, tell them the gospel and, 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 you know, help them come to a saving understanding of the reality that Jesus forgives them of their sin and wants to lead their lives. I heard it said this way. It says, when it comes to that conversation, you don't have to be the final link. Just make sure you're not the missing link. And when it comes in, you could say the link in the chain of someone coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, you don't have to be the final link, but ensure that you are not the missing link. I love the way that Pastor Wayne and Leslie really shape their understanding of their life mission. They say, we understand our life is to be the tangible touch of Jesus Christ to everyone we meet. It's a life of Colossians 4, 5, to be wise. A life that is wise in the way that you will act toward those outside of the faith and trust in God to help you make the most of every opportunity. Because when we do that, lastly, we then realize and get to live in that we get to do what we are supposed to do. And then just as importantly, if not more importantly, we let God do what God is supposed to do. Can I remind you, can I remind me, can I remind us that you, I, we, we don't save anyone. Like Jesus saves. He is the savior, which means we don't have to be. We don't have to be. The apostle Paul, he says it this way in 1 Corinthians 3, 6 through 7. Uh, he says, I planted the seed Another um, follower of Jesus, Apollos, he says, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. And he goes on, so neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. And so we recognize what it is that we are to do Make the most of an opportunity, plant a seed, water seed, trust as we ask the Lord of the others what it is we're supposed to do. But then from there, the rest is between that person and God. That's his call. A rubber road example of this, uh, trying to keep it in real time, not just tell a story from 10 years ago, but just this past Tuesday. Um, nothing brilliant, nothing special, just real life, real time. Uh, I was in a setting Tuesday morning where I ran into um, someone I know from the community, uh, our both our sons play baseball on the same team. We got to talking to her about COVID stuff. I mean, that's what we talk about now, right? It's like, you used to talk to people about the weather, and now for some reason we have to talk about masks and COVID, whatever. So we're talking about it, but she shared how her brother-in-law was uh, having a, a struggle with it and has just come down with double pneumonia, and so there was a lot of concern with that. And so I said, remind me of, of your brother-in-law's name. I'll be praying for him. Um, to which I got his name, and I have been praying for him. And so when I run into her again, um, I'll have that opportunity to follow up and say, you know, how's your brother-in-law been praying and, and trust what God's doing in that. And so that's what I tried to do. I tried to ask the Lord of the others, what do I do here? Um, try to use discernment, make the most of that, of that opportunity, uh, plant a seed, maybe water a seed, I'm not sure. But from there, what's gonna happen with her and her relationship with God? Um, that's between her and God. 
Another, you could say, rubber-to-road example, a friend of mine, um, he invited, uh, not that long ago, uh, a co-worker to church. You know, he had a friendship with him. You know, they had, you know, he thought it was, you know, just again, okay, God, what do I do here? Um, it seems like an appropriate next step to invite him to church, you know, trying to make the most of that opportunity. Um, and so he invited his co-worker to church, and you know what the co-worker said? No. Oh, okay. Um, but that's still a win. Even if the response is no, he made the most of the opportunity. He did what he felt God was leading to. He planted a seed, watered a seed, and, you know, will it grow? Well, that's between his coworker and God. I mean, it took me more than a year of invitations before I showed up to church as a 16-year-old kid. So planting a seed, watering a seed, he tried not to be the missing link, even though he wasn't the final link. Because 1 Corinthians 3.7, it is only God who makes things grow. And so... As we understand this opportunity and responsibility to love others and do what we are supposed to do and then allow God to do what only God can do, uh, zooming out from this point a little bit, um, most of you are aware at this point, maybe some of you have missed, that Pastor Wayne is retiring uh, from vocational ministry uh, in the summer of 2022, so a little more than a year from now. And the elders of First Christian Church have asked me to step into the role of lead pastor. And so this week, I actually begin a sabbatical throughout the summer while I'll be out of the pulpit, where my primary assignment or project from the elders, if you will, is in concert with the elders and the pastors and the staff to help begin to set the vision and the course and the next chapter for us as a church. And as I think about what that would look like, even before, you know, I guess officially step into that project, uh, I feel like this series really is a, almost like a movie trailer of what God has called us as a church, what he's been calling us, what he's going to continue to call us to do, that we're going to be, continue to be the church as he's called us to be, a church that starts with, not that we do anything, but that God did it all by sending his son that starts with the love of God. And then a church out of the overflow of that, we are to love him in return, to love one another, and to love others. And so if you were to push a little further, say, okay, Brian, what does that look like? If you were to say, what is, the, what is the future of the church at First Christian look like in the days ahead? You know, maybe beyond these larger gatherings or church online or the programs and the events. Uh, not that those, those are all vital to accomplishing our mission of becoming devoted followers of Jesus as we grow and we serve together. But if you were to kind of scale it down, I would ask the question, not just at the micro, or excuse me, the macro level, but take it to the micro level. What would it look like at First Christian Church if each and every single one of us, like nobody's off the hook, like every single one of us lived this because love kind of life, where you could say interpersonally, not just at a program level, but one-on-one, -on -one, we are involved in relationships that are, you could say, dis being discipled, and discipling others relationally. The kind of relationships where we are cared for and caring for one another relationally, interpersonally, one-on-one, -on -one, and relative to today, the kind of church that loves others, that reaches others, not just in a big shebang, but one to another, life-on-life, one-on-one, interpersonal, authentic relationships where you know and are known. And what I love about that vision, that idea of everybody's in this interpersonal, relational commitment, one to another, to all that God's called us to, what I love about this dream for each and every single one of us is you could say that is a huge vision 
to take place in a big church. That each and every single one of us are a part of it. And so what's your part today, relative to today? This, you know, what does it mean for you to go from this place and to love another? Well, I just gave you a seven-point sermon. I guess I don't get to preach for a while, so I got a lot in on one. I don't know why I did that. But uh, as you look at those seven points, uh, you might maybe want to take a picture of it so you have it. But if I were to just challenge you with just one of those points, I would challenge you, I would encourage you to lean into the one on prayer, to ask the Lord of the others, who is the other in your life right now? That person, you probably don't have to think long probably came to your mind. Who is that other? And I'm not saying you gotta go do this or do that or make this happen. I'm just asking you to do what God's word says. And that's to ask the Lord of the harvest, to ask the Lord of that other to be at work in you, in them, and to just do that. Maybe it could be a summer challenge. When I get back, we'll see how it goes. Um, to each day, just pray for that other and see what God does. Because it is, it is not the throwaway point. It is the point that ties all the others. Because when we pray, when we pray, it's there in prayer that we are reminded of, oh yes, this is how the love of God works. And then out of the overflow of his love for us, we get to love others with actions and when appropriate, use words uh, that he helps us overcome our fears. And then in that, make the most of every opportunity, planting and watering, recognizing, oh yeah, good news. God is the only one that grows. So I do my part and allow him to do what only he can do. And so I'd encourage you, if you've got that name, maybe you want to type it in your phone, maybe on the Leviticus bookmark, if you're going to be using that for a while, you can you know, scratch that name there and just as you hit it, just offer up a prayer, trusting the Lord of the harvest, the Lord of the other, to be at work in you, in that other life. And so to that end, we all need the prayer. And so I invite you to pray with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we think about the words to say, as we've done up until this point, we lean into your word. And so I just pray your word from Ephesians chapter three, verse 20 and 21 over us here today, which simply says, now to you who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to your power that is at work within us, to you be the glory in your church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.